Well, there are rally cries that come from dugouts and the bleachers of basketball courts and even battle cries that come from battlefields. As, as simple as let's go, let's go, L-E-T-S-G-O, to major battlefield cries in the history of our own state like remember the Alamo or in our own great country in the uh, reality of we have to change in the civil rights movement of Martin Luther King Jr.'s battle cry for America to I have a dream that we should look different and be different and operate different than where and how we've been operating. In cinematic history, one of the biggest, most popular battle cries since the 90s has been, to infinity and... Yeah, yeah, some of you didn't even remember the Alamo, but you knew Buzz Lightyear, you know. My kids grew up on Pixar. I didn't have that privilege, and uh, I grew up on Saturday cartoons. And for some of you young adults and some of you teenagers, like, we only got cartoons on Saturdays, and you actually had to, like, watch it when it was airing. You didn't get to, like, unless you had a VHS, I don't have time to explain what that is, just, but, 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 but I will tell you that used to be you wanted to watch a movie, you couldn't just watch it on your phone or do it on demand. You had to go to this place. It was a beautiful place. It was called Blockbuster magical. You'd choose your videos if they were in stock and you'd get home and you'd be all ticked off because you'd start it and it'd be rolling the credits and you knew the person who rented it before you was not kind. They did not rewind. I grew up on the Saturday cartoons and those things like that or after school programming and, and one, one of the cartoons I loved to watch but I had to sneak it around. This was like, this was me sneaking around because my parents wouldn't let us watch it. It was called He-Man Masters of the Universe and I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Oh wow, wow, yes, yes. I'm, I, oh, this is my servant, this is my people right here. I mean, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, I couldn't watch it because I grew up in a pastor's home and that, that was like the gateway drug to Smurfs. If you were watching that, then it was Smurfs and then it was like, you know, I mean, you never know what you were gonna do because Smurfs was a gateway drug to heroin. I mean, it was like, that's the day I was living in in the kind of the legalistic culture at the time as far as Christianity is concerned. He-Man would yell, by the power of Grayskull, I have the powers. Clothes would rip off. He'd run around and defeat people in his underwear. That, I think it maybe was a good idea that I didn't watch it. I don't know. A little weird. Battle cries. Battle cries. At Timber Creek Church, we, we have a rally cry. It's really the mission of why we exist. And we say it like this. Your God-given potential is our mission. God has tucked inside of each and every one of us Greatness, capacity, influence, future. And, and that isn't just about singing a high note or getting that promotion or fulfilling that degree or finally marrying Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Your God-given potential is really all about four key things. It all starts with not a God that is separated like a puppet master, or leaning over the walls of heaven waiting for you to mess up your life, your God-given potential is tucked away in the reality of a personal God who wants to know you personally that you can know personally. 
that not only can you know him personally, but you can find freedom from anything holding you back. That many times people will get saved and they expect it to be a slow motion run like Julie Andrews uh, through the field of roses and everything's daisies and buttercups. And many times we can get saved, but we still got some habits and hangups and some holdups. And Jesus would love to settle your yesterdays and help you look in the, in the future windshield, not the rearview mirror. That's part of your God-given potential. Ultimately, that you would discover his divine design for your life, that the gifts and talents he's given you be leveraged to make a difference that would give him glory, not just ourselves. That's what your God-given potential is all about. And it's a rally cry for us. We're 95 years old at Timber Creek Church, and five years from now, we'll have our centennial and anniversary, and we are not trying to just barely make it to 100 to where we barely blow out the candles and keep the teeth in. Like, like we actually, we want 100. We, we don't want tennis balls on the, on, on, on the, on the walker. We like want to be launching into the deep, and we have a new battle cry right now in this season called All In. Like, we are going all in to multiply more and more locations, more prison campuses, more venues, more places that in communities that are thriving. And also we're partnering with, with little churches in the next 10 years, 380,000 little churches will die in America. And they, they, they need some help and some guidance and they need, they want to reach young people. They want to reach young families. They don't know how to. And we want to come alongside those small little churches that they need some breath of life in them by the Spirit of God, not by Timber Creek, and, but a partnership. We can see that, that, that little church thrive again in that rural community. That's going all in over the next five years. And if you'd like more information, as, as you can see right here, this, this brochure is available in our lobbies at Nacogdoches and Lufkin, and of course, a digital one on, online. That's where we're at, a battle cry. But, but Easter isn't about all that. In fact, I, this Easter, I want to talk about not our battle cry, but the greatest battle cry ever and it's from our savior himself it's from our savior himself the greatest battle cry ever if you go to the cross and you back up from the moment jesus died about 18 hours you get to him completely god completely human in his last supper with his best friends on earth. His amigos, his friend, his, his family on earth. And in his last moments on earth, not only does he pray over them and tell them, encourage them with unity and give them direction, he takes time in the final supper to, to pull a, a towel out of the, out of the, the, the pant, out of the linen closet and, and, and wrap it around. And he takes, and he washes his disciples' feet. He serves them like that, showing us that he's not there just to be a puppet master, but he's here to serve us because he loves us so much. After their last supper together, they take a journey up out of Jerusalem and they take it up to one of his favorite spots, one of his favorite places to go. It was the Mount of Olives. And as he would climb up a little bit further, there was a place in the Mount of Olives. I've, I've been there. I've been able to walk that area. There was like on a, a garden grove known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And there surrounded by olive trees, Jesus had the rest of the disciples hold back. He brought three of his closest guys with him and he went into the depths of the garden and here Jesus is really dealing with a ton of emotion. 
He's dealing with the pain that he's about to experience on the cross. Now I want you to push pause. The pastels of Easter are beautiful. I can see pinks and blues and purples and everything. It's gorgeous out here in the audience. Nagadochus, you guys look great. I can see you too. And some of you are like, for real? No, I can't. I'm just kidding. I can't see you, but in faith, I know you're looking great. Before we get to the pastels of Easter, we got to talk about the pain of Easter. We got to talk about the, the price of what it took for Resurrection Day. Jesus begins to so be emotionally overtaken. He's completely human, but completely divine. And his physical body cannot handle the spiritual weight that is being placed on his shoulders. So much to the point that his body begins to sweat droplets of blood. The pressure of all the sin of humanity is becoming upon him in the garden. Why? Why not wait for the cross? Because once you're nailed to a cross, you don't get to choose whether you die or not. It's not your choice anymore. Someone else now has chosen for you. So God began to place on him the pain and the pressure and the responsibility of all the sin of the world while he could still walk away, while he could still sneak out the back door of the garden, while his friends were sleeping. I mean, he, he goes to them and says, you couldn't stay awake for one hour. They didn't even know. He's like, I'm gonna die for you. And you can't even stay awake. Yet he chose to go through what he went through because he wanted you to know that when you go through what you go through, you're never alone. A few moments later, he is betrayed by someone who he was sharing chips and salsa with a few hours earlier. A kiss of betrayal, six different trials. Within that, he is beaten and mocked. Um, a mask put over his head and, and smacked and, and hit. His beard plucked out. Mocking, saying, oh, oh, you're the son of God. You can, we heard you can walk on water. Can you tell us who's hitting you now, Jesus? Can you tell, well, what's my name, Jesus? As they slap him and spit on him and strip him naked. Six different trials in the middle of the night to kind of hide it because they knew what they were doing was wrong. He's denied by one of his closest three different times who a couple days earlier said, I'll never deny you. And there three times Peter denies Jesus. He then is sentenced by Pilate on that sixth trial. And it's not even to make, to kind of add insult to injury. All of the crowd is there saying crucify him. And Pilate says, you're saying you'd rather me release Barabbas, kind of the, the godfather of the, the Jerusalem mafia. You'd rather me release Barabbas or, or would you rather me re release Jesus? And they said, crucify Jesus, release Barabbas. Jesus was placed between two common criminals that were like the, the, the henchmen of the Godfather, Barabbas. Nevertheless, Jesus is sentenced to die. He carries the patabellum, the top of the T of the cross, 7,500 feet to Golgotha until he can't carry it anymore. Someone has to carry it for him because he has been beaten within an inch of his life. He comes to Golgotha, which is the Hebrew word for skull. Another word is cranion, or even the word calvary, which means skull. Some of you didn't even know, you grew up in Skull Baptist Church. I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, some of you got a skull tattoo. You, they're like, oh, what is that? Oh, that's my church, Skull Baptist, right there. <laughs> He's placed between two common criminals, 
And for six hours, he hangs on the cross. Six hours. This is in a place that is the main thoroughfare. This is not hidden behind the barn. This isn't out in the back 40. This is on the main drag through the hills into the city of Jerusalem. This would have been like Jesus being crucified in the parking lot of Walmart. Just a busy, bustling place. The sentence, here is the king of the Jews, tapped above him mocking him because he was a blasphemer. He said he was the king of the Jews. Little did they know, he's exactly who he said he was. And he's exactly who he says he is. On the cross, he gives us seven statements. Those are recorded through the four camera angles of Jesus' life known as the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first statement is, I'm gonna get you. No. I can't believe you did this to me. Don't you remember that I fed you? I fed you on the hillside. Don't you remember? How could you do this to me? No, his first words are, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He has enough heart for his own mother, his earthly mama, to take care of his mama. In the middle of those statements, he gives the statement, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And that, that statement, why, that should give you a little bit of comfort because even the son of God said, why? I know some of you have gone through some stuff in life, maybe recently even, you said, why God? And notice that Jesus, it's the only time that Jesus is ever recorded talking to his father and not calling him father because it's in this moment where Jesus is feeling the hand of his father begin to lift off of his son and he's taking on the weight of the world. We get to this battle cry of Jesus where the Bible says after everything had been fulfilled from where he would be born, what he would say, what he would do, how he would ride into Jerusalem, what line of David, what tribe he would come from, how he would venture in, how he would say, how he would be tempted, how he would be baptized. 300 different prophecies written hundreds of years earlier. Every T is crossed, every I is dotted, every jot and tittle. And the Bible says that when he had accomplished all this, that's when he says, I'm thirsty. Now probably if you've been on the cross six hours, 18 hours of trials, you're probably already thirsty, but he wanted to fulfill everything before he was given any moment of comfort. He says, I'm thirsty. And there, one of the guards places a, a hyssop, a branch in with hyssop and dips it into some wine vinegar, some sour wine. And they lift it up to Jesus and Jesus sucks that sour wine out of that hyssop branch. And that, that liquid kind of soothes or, or, or kind of um, um, puts, puts just a slight kind of just a, a, a top over his vocal cords. And we get to the battle cry. We read it in John 19 that when Jesus had received the sour wine, 
he said, the sixth of the seventh statements. He says, it is finished. It's finished. And with that, he gives up the ghost. In another book of the Gospels, he then says, into your hands I commit my spirit. I've been at the bedside of those that were saying goodbye, and those final breaths are shallow and weak. Most of the time, there's now been hours where there's not been any talking. Um, There's now just shallow breathing until the breathing stops. So we could, we could read this and think that in this moment, after all of the excruciating realities of the last six hours that Jesus just said, it is finished. But that's not what happened. He took, he took the drink for a reason, everybody. He actually shouted. He proclaimed. He battle cried. It is. How do we know this? Because in the author, Mark, he shows us that when the centurion who was there to guard the crosses, when he heard that he cried out like this and then breathed his last, that centurion said, whoa, truly this man was the son of God. Like there was something powerful in those final moments where Jesus did not just kind of fall asleep, but with every ounce of human strength left in the divine son of God, he proclaimed, he battle cried, rally cried, and a shockwave went through the cosmos that changed history forever. It is Finished. This is not a whimper of a victim. This is the shout of a victor. This is not somebody losing. This is somebody winning for you and for me. And we, 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 can, we can see it right here with the exclamation point. It's not a dot, dot, dot. It is finished. It's not a question mark. It, it is finished. It's, it, it's not a colon. It's finished. But there's also this we need to add to it. It's an exclamation. It is done. It is complete. It is is finished. And the original language, what Jesus would have screamed out, it wouldn't have been in English. Some people think like, you know, they see Jesus as a middle-class Texan, bless God. Y'all, it's it's finished and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like, no, he's a Middle Eastern man. It's finished. The language he would have used, actually the word translates into different languages, the same word, and it's the word tetelestai. Everybody say it with me, tetelestai. Tetelestai. Come on, Nat. Come on, Lufkin. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. He could have said it's done in different ways, but he chose strategically as the intentional son of God to use this word because in that culture, it meant something very powerful. Which brings us to the question today that I just wanna kinda tease out a little bit for us this morning on Easter 2022. And it's this question. If the battle cry of Jesus is, it is finished, the question for us is, what is finished? When he says it's finished, is, what was he talking about? Is he talking about 
the six hours of suffering? Is he talking about three and a half years of ministry, starting with being water baptized and going into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, not eating or drinking and, 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 being, and being tempted? Is it, is it 33 and, and a half some odd years? Is it, is it his human life? Is it, well, what is it that he's talking about that's finished? In order to understand that, we have to understand that word, to telestai. To telestai. It's like an English word that we would have, like the word run. Run, even though that sounds like a simplistic word, it can mean you can use it in multiple ways. It's not just a one-dimensional. It can have multifaceted ways to use it. Hey, let me, let me run something by you. They're running a fever. I ran a marathon. Run that wire through that hole. Uh, oh, my dog, got, my dog got into the chocolate and has a bad case of, you know. <laughs> to tell us, I, it is finished in that culture when those ears would have heard him cry out like that. It would have been way more than just it's done. It would have meant multiple things in that culture. Here's just five of them. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. To tell us that it is finished would be the word of a servant and master. In that day and age, a master would give responsibilities to the servants and they would want to have the heart and the intentionality of what the master wanted, not just what they thought was good enough, but what the master wanted. For example, Jesus gives the parable of a master who gives his servants a lot of his finances. And he says, hey, you got five bags of gold, okay? You got two bags of gold, you got one bag of gold. Be faithful with it, be good stewards with it. I'm gonna be gone, I'm gonna come back. And I'm not playing favorites, like I give you one bag, just be faithful with that. Five bags, be faithful. Just be faithful. It doesn't matter how much you have. Just be faithful with what you have. He comes back years later and he comes to five bags of gold, Gary. And he says, hey, Gary. He says, hey, master. And he's like, what'd you do with what I gave you? And, and Gary says, oh, I invested it in Tesla or whatever. I invested in these things called Birkenstocks. It's a new sandal, you know? And like, I invested, I made I doubled the money. You gave me five bags. I got 10 bags of gold. The master's like, what? He's like, no way. And the guy's like, Yahweh. Yeah. And uh, sorry, <laughs> stupid. And the master steps back and he says, well done. But another word the master could have used because Gary did exactly what he wanted him to do. The master, when a servant would do exactly the, to, the, to the nth degree what he wanted, he would say, to tell us that. Telestai, well done, well done. Like a parent to a child, go clean your room. And they kind of clean it, but you walk in there and it's like three dead bodies underneath the quilt because of all the stuff they just stuffed under there. That's like not to Telestai, okay? <laughs> but when they do it the way you wanted them to do it, oh, well done, well done the word of a master and a servant. Jesus is the ultimate master and he's the ultimate servant. Not only does he command the wind and waves, but he washes the feet of even those that would deny him. Complete. It's finished. That's the word. It's the word of an artist like Da Vinci who puts the final touches 
on the smile of Mona Lisa, like Michelangelo who takes the final chisel to the statue of, of David, like the happy trees that Bob Ross puts on the painting in PBS, like Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore that put the final touches on the pottery clay. For those of you that grew up in my era, anyway. There comes a time where it's not quite done and you gotta throw the pottery back down on the wheel and gotta start over and you, you, you gotta kinda step back and look at it and add some, 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 some sh shading over here. But there comes a time where Michelangelo stopped chiseling and Da Vinci stopped painting and they, they step back and they look and we would say like, oh, voila, but they would say to Telestai, perfection. The master, the master artist of the cosmos who hangs the sun, moon, and stars gave his one and only son a masterpiece for us, a finished work of art for you. It's the word of a banker. Uh, papyrus paper has even been discovered as it's been excavated through modern archaeology where they had systems of borrowing money and paying it back and paying with interest. That's been happening for a long time. And the bankers in that Jewish culture, when, when they would have a family that would pay off the debt and finally be done, they wouldn't just get a deed. They wouldn't just have the title. They would take that to the bank and the bank would make sure that that was stamped by approval and it wasn't stamped with paid in full. It was stamped with, can you guess it, a word to tell us die. You have owed a debt it's not like Jesus put a down payment on your sin and now every day you kinda gotta pay it off with interest, the way you walk and the way you work and the way you live. He paid it all up front, in full, to tell us die. Now you have to receive that. You have to accept that. You have to believe that he is who he says he is and has done what he said he would do. But it's finished. It's the word of the court where in that day, a, a, uh, a prisoner, uh, someone who uh, has been arrested for a crime would stand in front of the judge. The judge would hear what had happened, would on a scroll write out all of the things they did wrong, all of the different things, the, all of the, the rules they broke, the laws, uh, the, the crimes they committed. That scroll would carry with that prisoner to wherever prison they would go to. It would be nailed next to the prison cell. But when the time had been served, they would take that scroll. That prisoner had to guard it with their life because it was the only way they could prove they had spent the time. They had done the crime and spent the time. It was the only, there was no digital copy. There was no Xerox. There was no lawyer to try the case. And they would take that back to the judge. The judge would say, you're right. You paid, you did the time, it's covered, and they would stamp it with the word to tell a sty. Paul would later show us this in the book of Colossians, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Jesus, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Like I said, it wasn't a down payment. He drank the cup of wrath all the way down every last 
It's a banker, it's an artist, it's the court, it's a master and a servant, it's, it's the fifth, it's, it's the word of a priest during Passover. Jesus had a Passover meal with the disciples. He's arrested that night on Friday. He's crucified. He dies Friday afternoon. He's in the tomb Friday, Saturday, early Sunday morning. He resurrects there in the garden tomb. Those are the three days. And that is all in a time called Passover week. Celebrating that hundreds of years earlier, the Israelites were, were saved uh, from utter death and destruction because they put a, the blood of a lamb on their doorpost in Egypt. They were Hebrew slaves. And if they were to put the blood of the lamb on a doorpost, when, when death would come over the city of Egypt, if the door was covered with blood, the death would not reach their firstborn child. If they had no blood on the door, their firstborn would die. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's another way God was showing us that there's no system that's going to fully meet your need. There's going to be one ultimate son that will ultimately die for all of us. But they would celebrate this passing over of that death. And all week long, they'd celebrate it. And it started with a meal on Thursday. On Friday, what would happen is down in the city, in the temple, a priest would open the doors like Black Friday, people clamoring in. But instead of looking for a 60-inch flat screen, they, all these families would have traveled from all the neighboring villages, and they would be bringing their own lamb, a spotless lamb. It had to be inspected by the priest. The priest had to open the mouth and hear the bleeding and look at the legs and make sure that this wasn't the runt of the litter, but that this was a good, worthy sacrifice sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. And when that priest would measure and that priest would audit the lamb, if the lamb passed inspection in that moment, the same day of Passover that Jesus would be crying out in a loud voice as the spotless lamb of God, the priest in the temple and the high priest who covers all of our sins, who's also not just the priest, but he's also the sacrifice, he's also the lamb, both in harmony would be saying to families and to the galaxy, to Telestai, it's the perfect Lamb. In order to understand what Jesus really did on the cross, you got to understand this word. You got to understand this battle cry. It's finished. But that's what it meant then. But what does it is finished mean for me today in 2022? We're not bringing in our lambs today, at least not this church. You know, maybe, maybe you're part of another church or whatever. That's on Tuesdays, everybody. We, we do the sacrifices on Tuesdays. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I knew it. I knew that was a crazy church over there. What does it is finished mean for you and mean for me? What does it mean for this pastor? A few things you can write down. Number one, it means salvation is no longer a system to follow, but a savior to accept. If you rewind the whole story of God and know that that's what the Bible is, one story that all points us to Jesus, you rewind the story all the way to the book of Genesis at creation. When Adam and Eve sinned, they wanted to take matters into their own hands. They wanted to do their own thing and they sinned against God. I want to tell you something. If you don't recognize what sin really is, sin is not the act that you commit. 
It's the authority you reject. Sin is when we reject the authority of God in our lives and we take on our own authority as the final say. And that's what happened. It wasn't about the fruit they ate off the tree. It was about rejecting the authority of God. And then when they did that, they realized, uh-oh, we ought not to have done this. They were embarrassed. They were guilty. And they felt shame. And so they tried to cover themselves up. They, they go Martha Stewart on the whole deal and they sew up some fig leaves. They cover themselves, their most vulnerable places. They lose their innocence. God shows up and he doesn't slap them in the face. He says, who told you you were naked? And instead of killing them on the spot as God had every right to do, he says, instead of killing you, here's what I'm gonna do. And it's the first killing in the Bible by God. He kills an animal. And that spilled blood, I'm killing this animal instead of killing you. And I'm gonna take the skin of this animal. I'm gonna cover you. You should have died, but something died in your place. And starting all the way back then, there was this ritual of staying right with God that something had to die because sin will kill you. So instead of it killing them, they would kill something in its place and that spilled blood would be the sacrifice. We get to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice. The author of Hebrews said it like this, not with the blood of goats and calves, now it's with his own blood that he enters the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What does it is finished mean for me? It means that salvation is no longer a system of having to be a certain denomination and have to do a certain tightrope walk and oh, is God gonna be mad at me this time? And if, if I'm living a happy life, then God is happy. If I've made a mistake, then God is mad. And, and he's, like, he, he, he's like, you know, the only kind of relationships I know that he's kind of an emotional wreck. And if you just tick him off just right, zap you. He's gonna zap you. He's, a, he's gonna get you. And that's not the God you serve. That's not the God you have to serve. That's not the God of the Bible. His kindness leads us to repentance. And now you have to accept it versus try to earn it. You still have to accept it, but you don't have to earn it. What does it mean? It means that salvation cannot be added to or subtracted from. Like we've talked about these priceless works of art. Think about the Mona Lisa hanging there in the museum and me coming in with my crowns and trying to fix her smile so she looks a little happier. By the way, uh, it'd be like me bringing my... Anybody ever like think when you were a kid like who the rich kids were and, and how you kind of associated that with? I always thought if you had a 64 box of Crayolas with the, with, with the sharpener in it, they must be rich kids. <laughs> that's what I thought. Like, dang, Gina, like that's a, they got some, you know. If you had that or a pool, you're like, woo, woo, man, wealthy people. It'd be like you taking your rich 64 Crayolas trying to add to a Mona Lisa. That's what we do, trying to add to our salvation. This happened just a month ago in Russia, in a museum with a, with a, with a piece of art valued at over a million dollars. The piece of art is this, it's called Three Figures. You may have heard this or read about this recently. This happened in February. They had hired a new security guard there in that museum 
And on the third shift, I don't know if he's, you know, doing his Paul Blart mall cop thing or, or what, but he's flipping his, you know, black flashlight, acting like Paul Blart, and he gets tired, his medicine wore off. I don't know what happened to this blessed guy, but in the middle of the night, he had this, just kind of this urge, and he added eyeballs <laughs> to the painting. He stepped back and he's like, mm, no, 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 no. I know they can't see and whatnot and everything. He's looking for a new job, everybody. And as, you know, we would call that in the Greek, the Greek word for that is stupid. But, but here's what that all is. That is performance mentality. Even as silly as that is, you and I try to draw eyeballs on the artistry work of God in our lives, trying to perform to make him happy. Or we, we, we try to be attaching identity to our activity. Man, I got to make sure I show up on Easter. I mean, that, uh, God's going to be mad if I don't show up and go to church at least at Easter and Christmas. If I don't get the family, like, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to do my good deed for I'm gonna go do my good church deed. And I want you to know that's not what he's after. He's not after your deed, he's after, he's after your heart. And I want you to know if you've been trying to attach your identity to your activity, that doesn't make you um, more loved by God. As a matter of fact, you may wanna jot it down somewhere. Somebody needs to be reminded of this. You cannot be loved any more or any less than you are right now by the son of the living God. He loves you with an unfailing, huge, indescribable, higher than any mountain, lower than any valley, deeper than any sea. He loves you no more and no less than you are right now. You, I don't feel very loved. That's you. That's not him. That's, that's you dealing with a guilt or a shame or trying to, like Adam and Eve, hide behind the trees, afraid of what God might do. He didn't drag them out. Were there consequences to their action? Yes. But he loved them in the middle of it. Many of us, instead of feeling the love of God, we, we, we carry the shame that Jesus already bore on the cross. God, God takes no joy in you wearing shame that Jesus already wore on the cross. We got that mentality, we got that drive, got to make sure we do it right and toe the line. It's finished. Embrace him. It doesn't mean that we don't grow in Christ-like character, that as we get saved, that we don't want to become more like him. There is a progression to our loving Jesus and becoming more like him, but there's no progression to your salvation. It's instantaneous. It's a gift that you receive that's already been paid for and bought. Satan, his name means accuser. His name means accuser. That that's like his nickname, accuser. That's what his name means. Left-handed Johnny ain't right-handed. He got the nickname for a reason. Terrible Tammy in HR, you know her. She probably not a peach to be around, okay? That's why you call her terrible Tammy. Satan doesn't have the name accuser because he's a kind guy. He, accu he, wants, to, he wants you to get sidetracked. If he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And if he can't make you do this or do that, he'll, he'll, he'll invite you to wear all kinds of hand-me-downs of shame and hang on to those things that Jesus already took. Satan will accuse you of what God's already forgiven for you. 
And there's no need to wear that. Jesus, he finished all that. Give it to him today. What does it is finished mean for me? <laughs> it means that he finished well. He finished with a triumph, with a shout, with a victory, with a, with a victory chant. It is finished. And he finished well so you can too because maybe it didn't start well. I've ran races before, marathons and Ironmans, and I can start strong. It's hard to finish strong. Jesus finished strong for you. And I want you to know that every single dark day that you go through doesn't have to be incomplete. It can be finished because he's the light of the world. Every tough day, if you'll cast your care on him because he cares for you, you don't have to face any tough moment. The hurricanes of life, the storms of life, even the disciples in the boat are having to bail water. Jesus is in the bowels of the boat taking a nap on his my pillow that he got on the infomercial a couple of months earlier. And they're bailing water saying, Jesus, don't you care? Do you even care that we're about to drown? And I know that some of you may be living life right now where you're saying, do you even care? Do you even care? Because do you even see my tough day? And I want you to know that that same Jesus who is completely human is also completely divine that can rest with the best of them, but can also stand up in the middle of your boat and say, peace, be still. Every tough day, every storm, every hurt, he's close to the brokenhearted. Hurts that you placed on others and that others placed on you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. There's not a finale of his mercies. They're new every morning, the Bible says. And do you know what that means, new every morning? It doesn't mean that you wake up and you've got the same mercy that you had yesterday that you got today. In the original language, what the author means by your mercy is new every morning. The same way that I've got a fingerprint that's unique to only me and you've got a fingerprint that's unique to only you and you've got a fingerprint. You've got DNA that, that, that makes you who you are and I've got DNA that makes me who I am. There is unique DNA of mercy every single day. You need mercy for your marriage, brand new mercy tomorrow. You need mercy for family, brand new mercy. It's a different mercy, totally different foot, fingerprint, totally different DNA. He's got so much mercy. It can be new and strategic and tailored to fit your specific specifications. That's the kind of God, that's the kind of finished work of mercy he's given to you and to me. Every single doubt, every single worry, You don't have to walk through those things alone. He will be with you. But I know that even hearing all of this, I know that there are some joining us and some right here. You say, yeah, I hear you. Looks good on paper. I don't feel like it's finished. I look at my life and I look at the struggle I keep on going through. I prayed a lot to like get past this addiction. I don't even think God wants to hear me anymore. I've embarrassed myself too many times that he's not, I mean, I, I don't feel like it's finished. As a matter of fact, I kind of feel like, I feel like I'm finished. 
I don't know how God could possibly give me a 47th chance here. And I hate that for you. Because it's just not true. We've had an artistic theme to this message, and let me finish with another piece of art. Hanging in one of the most famous museums on earth, the Louvre, for many years, was a piece of art known as Checkmate. This is the painting, and it depicts Satan, who has humanity right where he wants him, He's got checkmate. And the heavenly being, the source, of, the source of light or the source of good or the source of hope, if you look close, you can see in the eyes is almost a sorrow, almost a, oh my goodness. And the stress and the pressure on humanity because the devil has him exactly where he wants him and he's checkmating, he's, he's looking at the board and he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know where to go pretty intense picture of how some of us can feel finished. This painting hung in the Louvre for decades until just recently it was sold at Sotheby's to a private collector. But as it hung on the walls of the Louvre there in Paris, the museum curator one day was taking a tour of Americans through the art gallery. And it just so happened that in this group, in this tour, there was a chess master who had won multiple tournaments, top uh, of the field of chess. And as they were walking through the gallery, obviously what caught his eye was this painting with the chessboard. And he immediately kind of separated from the rest of the tour and the museum curator. And he kind of comes up to the to the painting and gets as close as he's allowed. And he's just looking, he's just taking it all in. It's just it's speaking to him. And the museum curator notices that he's, that he's stepped away, and so he dismisses himself for a moment from the rest of the group, and he walks in and kind of leans in and says, it's beautiful, isn't it? Gives him the name of it, tells him about it. And the chess master says, yeah, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And almost like a, a light bulb, almost like a, a, a thunderclap, he goes, Whoa, wait a second. The painting's wrong. The painting's wrong. And the museum curator's like, <laughs> the painting's wrong. This isn't checkmate. This isn't checkmate. The museum curator says, What? He says, Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, look. The chess master points and he says, Do you see? The king, the king has one more move. The king has one more move. And if the king has one more move, it isn't over. You may feel like it's over. The marriage, the struggle, the pile of regret, the prison sentence you're serving right now, the king of the cosmos always has one more move. And if he has one more move, 
Oh, I hope you will take the peace of God today. That you will grasp the hope that is our Savior today. All across our locations, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? Two moments of prayer today. First, we're going to do business with God. If you're here in one of our rooms, truth be told, you've wanted to do it your own way. Maybe you've bowed a knee to Jesus before. It's been a while and it's time to refresh that. Or you've never invited him to take the throne of your heart. But today you're saying, I'm gonna step up off the throne. I'm stepping to the side. Jesus, be the king of my life. Take this one more move right now. My move is surrender. Your move is salvation. And I surrender to you today. Please take that move on me. I I want you to be the king of my heart. I make a terrible savior for myself. I need you. If that's you for the first time or a fresh time, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you out, but I will say you, you have an opportunity now in this moment to make things right with God because he's already finished it. You just have to receive it. If that's you with no hesitation, I'm gonna invite you, just put a hand right up in the air. I need to surrender to Jesus today. Yes, hands. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, there in the front. Yes, ma'am, in the back. Anybody else here? They're in Nacogdoches. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sweet girl. Yes, sir. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Hands all over the room. I just want to invite you to, in your own words, it's not about the words of this pastor. It's about the intention of your heart. In your own words, you say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, raising again and providing a place for me in heaven. I want to receive that. I want to follow you. I want to believe. I believe you are who you say you are. And I want to live for you. I don't even know what all that looks like. I don't even know what I need to, to change. But I do know this. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me. But for loving me so much. You would give me this moment right now on Easter Sunday to make things right with you. Thank you for finishing what I could never finish, for paying what I could never pay, for accomplishing what I couldn't. Thank you, Jesus. As heads are bowed and eyes are still closed, this isn't a salvation moment, but maybe it's a... It's an insecurity thing or it's wearing shame or still feeling bad about something that Jesus has already forgiven. And you just need to offer that to him today. If that's you, would you just raise a hand? I want to pray for you too. Yeah, yeah. Me too, everybody. Me too, friends. I slide right into that same old game. The shame game is, is my game too. Jesus, you have nailed it to the cross. We are sons and daughters of the King We are who you say we are. And we're not going to be identified by our activity. We're going to be identified by the king of the cosmos, the son of the living God. And we accept you and embrace you. Help us, Jesus, to walk in that finished work of grace and mercy day by day, becoming closer and closer to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said a good amen. Hey, let's give it up for those that made a decision, all locations. For those that made a decision to follow Jesus, how cool. Well, now we've come to the final moment of our survey card. You can pull that card out and you can take a picture of it and scan that and open up this survey. Very simple survey. It's kind of your name and your, your date of birth and one question, A, B, C, or D. There is no wrong answer. 
It's just wherever you are in this snapshot of your life today. And as you pull that up and you fill that out, you will mark one of those A, B, C, or D. And let's start with D. You would mark D today. If, if when it comes to following Jesus, you say, no thanks. Um, I don't really wanna make that decision. I don't intend to make that decision. That's not for me. I'm here with a family member. I'm just, I don't, no, no thanks. That's okay. I want you to know all we're gonna do with that is simply pray that if Jesus is who he says he is, that over the next 12 months, that he would just show you that he loves you and that you'll have to determine what to do with that. But thank you for your honesty. Maybe you would click C and say, you know, I'm not ready to follow Jesus, but I wanna consider it. I want you to know we've designed this church with you in mind. It's okay not to be okay here. This is not like just only Christians allowed, like we're all on a journey together. And if you're on a journey to kind of consider the claims of Christ, we wanna help you find and possibly follow Jesus. But you need to do that business with God. You need to know where you stand. And so just, if that's you, you'd click C. Now, if just a few moments earlier, whether you raised a hand or not, if in your heart you knew it's time to make a change and invite Jesus to be my king, you, you would click B. And you'd say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Like, I'm starting or restarting a relationship with you. And you know, we're not gonna bug any of you that fill this survey out. But if you want more information on how to progress in a relationship with Jesus, we'll offer that to you, no strings attached. Of course, if you're here and you've already decided to follow Jesus, Jesus, I'm following you, and you're already in a relationship, you'd click A, and here's what I'd ask of you. Go to another level of glad surrender with him. Go to another level of thankfulness for his finished work. Don't lose the gratefulness of your heart of what he's done for you and for humanity. I'm going to give just a moment and say to Nacogdoches, we love you. Right now, I'm going to hand it over to your campus pastor, and I'm going to step back for just about 10 seconds and let us finish our surveys. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday, Nacogdoches. Everybody, I'm gonna invite you to stand where you are. We, you, we came in worshiping. We're gonna, we're gonna finish right now. Stay where you are. We're gonna finish this song together as an anthem of praise and thankfulness, a, a thanksgiving to the God of the ages who was and is and is to come. That the God who meets you where you are is the God that met them there at the Last Supper and on the cross and on a Resurrection Sunday. Whatever you need, He's that God. Come on now, let's lift our voice.